Hi, everybody. My name is Rafa Lombardino, and this is Translation Confessional. If you're like most translators, you'd rather spend your time translating than digging through your inbox in different Excel files. But too many translators spend hours every week manually managing their jobs and clients. Invoicing, financial tracking, and keeping track of all your jobs doesn't need to be so time-consuming. In fact, you can do it easily from one easy-to-manage platform made by and for translators. You can create and send quotes, manage your rates and services for each client, manage projects, and send invoices all from one place. It automatically creates financial reports for you, so you always know the health of your business. Ready to stop wasting time on admin and start spending more time translating? Try LSP Expert for free for 30 days. Just type lsp.expert into your preferred browser and use the code HAFA for 15% off a new yearly subscription. Once again, the code is R-A-F-A. Take control of your translation business admin today. Working as a language consultant. If you've been listening to Translation Confessional and checked out my 2020 birthday webinar available on YouTube, you already know that I'm a big advocate of diversification in the translation and interpretation field. I'm always talking about different language-related services that we can offer to address the needs of our clients, to diversify our work, and remain sustainable as professionals by keeping a steady stream of projects on our schedule. Well, today I'd like to talk about working as a language consultant. As translators and interpreters working with two or more languages and knowledgeable in different cultures, we're in a great position to offer consulting services and help clients better understand how they can offer their products, services, and content to foreign audiences. As usual, I'll tap into some of my professional experiences in hopes that I can spark your curiosity and help you brainstorm some options of your own so you can position yourself as a language consultant as well. I'll share three experiences with you today. Writing a style guide, being a test user for a website or app, and testing a phone directory. I've worked with a few clients who needed to have a style guide for their translators to follow. They wanted to make sure that their translations would be consistent, not only at the sentence level by using translation memories on a CAT tool and at the terminology level by using a glossary, but they also wanted to have an editorial philosophy, so to speak, which would ensure that their literature, as in the text they've written and that would be translated and then distributed to the target audience, could feel whole and somewhat standardized when consumed by their readers, as if different contents had effectively been translated by the same person every time. Well, we know that two translators will never translate the same thing the same way. 
But having a style guide available does help standardize how the source and target languages interact. I remember working with a client that had an online news website and they needed me to put a style guide together for their Brazilian translators. Thanks to my background in journalism, I was able to break down some basic rules on how the text in Portuguese should flow in order to match the tone of the source material while being read as if they had been originally written in Portuguese all along. I was able to go through different translation samples provided to the client so I could find what they had in common and what was very different among all of them. For instance, we needed to emphasize that 99% of the time, adjectives come after a noun and adverbs come after the verb in Portuguese, so as to stop translators from going into autopilot and always putting adjectives in front of nouns and adverbs in front of verbs, just because that's how sentences are structured in English. Another issue we found was that translators were capitalizing the days of the week and the months of the year. Just because they're capitalized in English, that doesn't mean we have to change Brazilian Portuguese conventions and start capitalizing them too. No, days of the week and months of the year are not capitalized in Brazil, unless they're starting a sentence, of course. Punctuation is also a big thing. In English, we use the long dash to connect sentences, while in Portuguese, we may use a semicolon or parentheses instead. Believe me, I often have to add several comments when so-called reviewers who don't speak Portuguese try to indicate that my translation contained errors because I didn't use long dashes and interfered with the text by adding semicolons or parentheses where there were none in the original. If I got a dollar... Every time I had to mention that different languages work differently and that punctuation cannot be reproduced blindly in translations, I would probably have a nice nest egg for my retirement. Besides that, in English, we keep commas and periods inside quotation marks and parentheses, while in Portuguese, we do it the other way around. Actually, quoting sources has its own set of norms in Brazilian journalism, and it's pretty different from what we see in English. In other words, we usually see in newspapers and magazines that they write the following in English. John Doe says, comma, open quote, write the quote, yada, 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 period, end quote. That sentence structure is not as common in Brazil, and what we usually do is, Open quote, write the quote, yada, 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 and quote, and put a comma after it. And then we attribute it to the source, usually using an action verb such as says, states, explains, or declares, giving the source's name and then some extra info about that person, such as title, like the student, the company director, the mayor, or whatever. Now, if you're continuing the quote after that, and it's already been established that the same person is providing more information, it's okay to have a period before the end quote if the sentence being quoted will stand on its own. Talking about periods and commas, units of measurement 
also need to be adapted to the target language. In English, we use commas for thousands and periods for fractions, while in Brazilian Portuguese, it's the other way around. And when it comes to numbers, in English, we often see the letter K representing thousands, M for millions, and B for billions, right? Well, in Brazil, we don't use K for thousands, and it's best to write mil instead, which is literally thousand. And because mil for thousands and milhões for millions both start with M, we don't really use M for that. We just write milhões in full after the number. It's okay to use B for billions, though, since bilhões wouldn't be confused with something else. So if an article mentions that 50K people attended an event, for example, we'd write it in Brazil as 50 followed by the word mil instead of adding a period and three zeros since it's a round number. And this kind of structure is easier on the readers. There would be no K in sight, I can assure you that. What is the most fundamental tool translators have? Yes, our language. And we must be the grammar and spelling police, not only when we're working on a project, but also when we're communicating with clients or interacting with peers online. We must use our language as well at all times. With that in mind, one tool I've been using for a while now, and I do use it constantly, is Grammarly. I've activated it on my email so I don't make any mistakes when sending a message to a client. I also have it available to me in Google Drive so I can use it when reviewing my students' translations into English or when I'm writing my own articles and brainstorming podcast episodes. And because I do translate into English very often, the premium version helps me keep my last draft sharp and ready for delivery. If you'd like to try out the world's best automated proofreader, visit bit.ly slash tc dash grammar. It's easy to remember. TC stands for Translation Confessional, followed by Grammar. Once again, you can visit Grammarly at bit.ly slash tc dash g-r-a-m-m-a-r. Keep your English sharp. Another kind of language consultant service I've provided is being a test user on a website or application. Pretty much you just have to access the site or app and use it in your target language to make sure that everything is working correctly, that accents or special characters have not been corrupted, that there are no broken links, and that there is no trace of the source language in the final localized product. I have a background in computer sciences because in a past life, I actually went to school to become a computer programmer, so it really helps me understand these kind of interactive products, not only from a user's perspective, but as a programmer as well, so I can better assist clients when they need to make some adjustments to their coding to make sure that everything is displayed correctly for users who speak Portuguese. One of the most recent projects I completed involved a website that people would use to make an appointment for their COVID-19 vaccine. So I had to pretend I was an actual user accessing their website in Portuguese. 
I was given some information, such as a fictional name and address, but I had to use my real email and phone number to receive confirmations after signing up for the appointments. Once I had selected the two dates when I'd be taking the first and second doses of the vaccine, I got an email and a text message with a confirmation code. Then I'd have to cancel those appointments and reschedule them to make sure the system was working correctly before I ultimately canceled the appointments and left that date and time available to people who were actually going to be vaccinated at that location. All throughout the process, I was assessing the website and the programming behind it to make sure that the translation I had worked on for that client was shown correctly and that there were no hiccups along the way for the end user who would be accessing the website in Portuguese. Now, phone directories are one kind of content I've been working with since I can remember. Thanks to my long-term collaboration with a client that specializes in providing multilingual voice recordings to companies that localize the messages being played when callers try to get information over the phone. Both my backgrounds in journalism and computer sciences come in handy when working with this kind of material because I have to make sure that the translation will flow well when read aloud, something I learned during my radio and TV classes in journalism school, and that the pieces will fit nicely when clients put the final product together. And that's when my programming skills help me understand the variables that clients are using when arranging components within the structure of the sentence. By the way, check out Season 1, Episode 47, Translating for the IT Industry, and Season 2, Episode 20, Translating for Speech, for more information on both subjects. I'm leaving links in the description so you can listen to them after you get to the end of this episode. Well, going back to the testing phone directories. Some projects are really straightforward, and clients send me a script for me to test the entire system. They have a special phone number I can call, then they'll tell me to press a given number to access the directory in my language. And then they have the script with the messages I'm about to hear and which options I should select in order to test everything. If there's a glitch and I don't get to hear the message I'm supposed to, I have to indicate that on the report so they can correct the programming behind the directory. However, some projects get a bit more complicated because clients don't put enough forethought into how they're structuring a multilingual system. One example that comes to mind is that of a client who, without knowing how the target language works, acquired a computer-generated voice set in Portuguese with standard recordings they could cue throughout the programming of their phone directory. So, for instance, the client may want to let a caller know that their call will be answered in the order it was received. Therefore, they may have a sentence like, You are the X person in line, and a representative will speak with you shortly. That X will be replaced by an ordinal number, such as first person, fifth person, or tenth person waiting in line. Because the word for person in Portuguese, pessoa, is a female noun, those ordinal numbers would have to be female as well, as in primeira pessoa, quinta pessoa, 
em décima pessoa. However, in that particular case, they had used the ordinal numbers in the male form. Primeiro, quinto, décimo. So, it didn't quite work in Portuguese and they had to adjust the programming correctly. Now, if the client wanted to indicate the amount of minutes a caller would have to wait before their call is answered, they'll be using cardinal numbers, as in one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes. Here, it's not gender, but quantity that comes into play, because they'll have to program the word minute as singular to play after the number one, while the plural, minutes, would be played after any number equal or higher than two. In any case, no programming changes were needed because plurals work the same way between English and Portuguese. When it comes to this kind of content, the trickiest part actually is related to the dates. In English, at least U.S. English, we say the month first and then the day. Well, you guessed it, it is the other way around in Portuguese. Day and then month. To add to that, we use the preposition de as in of between the day and the month and the month and the year. Besides, we do not use the ordinal numbers for dates unless you're talking about the very first of the month. So, August 5th, 2021 in Portuguese is 5 de agosto de 2021 or 5 of August of 2021. You, listening to me right now, if you translate into Portuguese or any other language that has a similar date structure with day, month, and year in the use of prepositions, for example, you must be thinking that this is kind of silly because all translators have to do is translate it according to the standards used in the target language, right? Yes, I agree. But what happens when the client can't understand that different languages use different structures and they think that you're messing up with their programming? I'm not sure if you know, but computer programmers live in a world of their own. And most believe that the way their code is written should be set in stone. To quote the Mandalorian, this is the way. <laughs> so I had to sit at a conference call once with a project manager overseeing the translation and voiceover recording process. And with the end client, the actual programmer putting the phone directory program together to explain to them why they would have to adapt their coding to make sure that the information would come through clearly to a Brazilian audience. No, you can't use ordinal numbers for all days of the month. You can say primeiro de agosto for August 1st, but August 2nd will be dois de agosto or 2 of August. So we must switch back to cardinal numbers when programming the variables that will retrieve the computer-generated voice recordings in Portuguese for all the other dates. And no, you can't structure the date as month, day, year in Portuguese. You must structure it as day of month, of year instead. I'm just glad it was a phone call and not a video call, so the client wouldn't see my frustration as I started tearing my hair out 
while explaining to them in the most professional tone ever that different languages work differently, and if they wanted their final product to make sense to their target audience, they'd have to make those changes in the programming. After all, they put so much planning into designing the original material. So why would they think that a one-size-fits-all approach should apply to different languages and cultures, and completely disregard the expert opinion of a translator who is responsible for, first of all, making sure the content will be usable in the target language, and secondly, have the target audience interest in mind so that the information comes through clearly. Observing these kind of patterns help us make sure that our translations will be indeed consumed by the target audience as something that seems to have been originally written in the target language, instead of some kind of translationese that looks foreign to what we're used to seeing in our language. So, have you had a chance to act as a language consultant? And go the extra mile in making sure your client's content is suitable to the target audience. Remember that this is an extra service that goes beyond translation. And while we do make a lot of decisions during the actual process of translating the original content based on how we, as language experts, know how our language works, if you provide some sort of additional support, you should bill the client accordingly. Believe it or not, when they see that invoice with a task that reflects the translation you provided, and then another item indicating the time it took you to sit on a call with them or to provide additional materials, such as a style guide or a set of rules and norms about the target language, they will respect you more and see you as a language consultant who adds value to their content. Send me an email at rlombardino@wordawareness.com, or leave a voice message on my anchor page. If I get enough feedback and voice messages, I can go back to the subject and post a special podcast episode with everyone's opinion on this very same theme. By the way, my anchor page is anchor.fm/translation-confessional. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay tuned for weekly episodes and subscribe to Translation Confessional through your favorite podcast app.